Welcome to China Tech Talk, a weekly discussion of technology and startups here in China. I am John Artman, editor in chief of TechNote, and as always, I'm joined by Matthew Brennan, founder of China Channel. So this week we talk with Kaiser Guo, and、um, if you've never heard of Kaiser, I would be very surprised. He is a, literally a rock star in the the China. Uh, culture and、uh, technology area.、Uh, he used to work for 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 Baidu,、um, but before that, you know, he was coming back and forth,、uh, actually doing、uh, rock and roll.、Um, and、uh, since then, he has done done many many things,、uh, including, of course, the the Seneca podcast. And so this week, we talk with him、uh, about a lot of different things.、Um, but some of the most interesting sections of the conversation were about Baidu, and in part about his time there.、Um, and I think one of the big things that I learned from from the conversation、um, was that from the outside, it seems like Baidu maybe number one isn't doing so well. Number two, they've、um, they've made quite quite a few mistakes that that have kind of gotten them into the position they are they are in now. Um, but the way Kaiser describes it,、um, it seems that、um, number one, these were、uh, reasonable mistakes to make, and、um, that that these are mistakes that they, that Baidu can easily、uh, recover from. Yeah, I mean, he's got a a unique and insider viewpoint on on everything that's been going on around Baidu.、Uh, he's left them now, but it was you know last year, and he he was with them for many many years.、Um, had a Director of、uh, International Communications, so he had、uh, high-level access to top-level management, and obviously Kaiser speaks perfect Chinese.、Um, and he's been in the IT game in China for, you know, it's from way back into sort、time. of, you know, from the beginning, pretty much, you know, from、uh, doing startup in this area at the same time as as, as Jack Ma was getting going in Hangzhou. So. Yeah,、uh, a wealth of experience. He's a real storyteller.、Um, he's already got some fascinating insights, and 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 and、um, yeah, I think we we don't really need to introduce him too much, as you said, John.、Uh, I assume most of our listeners will know Kaiser. Yeah, yeah, I think most of our listeners will know. So, so like I said,、um, we talk about a lot of different stuff. We talk about、uh, Baidu. Uh, we talk about、um, a little bit about、uh, the People's Daily. You know, Matt and I we spoke about、um, Honor of Kings, and so Kaiser gives us a bit more context about you know what a commentary from the People's Daily might actually mean,、um, and whether or not it has any impact on on Tencent's、uh, strategy or or corporate policy. Um, but then we also talk about some some recent events, some other recent events as well, including、um, Apple's position here here in China,、uh, and also the, the you know all that stuff that's happening with with VPNs. And so、um, Kaiser gives us a bit more context on that. And I think that's that's really what I enjoyed most about this conversation was you know talking with someone who. Has pretty much seen everything. You know, he was here for,、uh, you know, living in China for, you know,、uh, about twenty years or so, and so just just that wealth of information and that wealth of history that he's able that we, he was able to、uh, impart impart to us, I think,、um, was just、uh, amazingly invaluable.、Hmm. I totally agree. Let's get into it. Kaiser, thank you so much for for taking the time to come on to the show today. My pleasure, John. My pleasure, Matt. So,、um, so the first question that we like to that we like to ask all of our guests,、um, 
before before we really jump into the topic is um, is what's your China story? Tell us, you know, how did you come to China <laughs> <laughs> and, and what's your experience here? Mine is mighty long of the telling. Um, my first trip to China was back in 1981. I was a wee lad of 15. My folks had already been traveling back and forth to China a lot. They had left China during the revolution and gone to Taiwan and then uh, in the mid-1950s emigrated from there to the United States where me and my slew of siblings, we were all born. Uh, but they they were, you know, sort of on the pro PRC side during the, after the Nixon visit and, uh, you know, when the Chinese American community was sort of deeply divided. Uh, and my father had the opportunity to come to China as early as 1975. And so we uh, were always, so we were fed a pretty steady diet of commie propaganda. And, uh, you know, my, my, my father at least was, Disabused of of his, uh, you know, belief that the Cultural Revolution was anything less than an abomination. Uh, w- once, you know, he would started going there fairly regularly. But uh, by eighty one, uh, you know, he was ready to take the kids over. I went and I actually spent a, a summer living in like a, a second floor underground, urinal smelling uh, kind of dorm basement at at uh, Peking Normal University, Capital Normal University, uh, rather. Uh, I somehow, uh, in spite of that, I, I wanted to come back. And in 86, we took another family trip. By then, the, the trajectory of China was pretty clear to me. And I figured I wanted to, to attach myself to that in some capacity. And how, how old were you um, at that I point? Was in, I was in college now. Um, and that sort of um, helped me, nudge, nudge me toward changing my course of study. I, I stayed in, in political science, but I shifted my focus from uh, the Soviet Union and Eastern Europe to China, where I already had sort of a leg up on the language, Russian was just too difficult. And so uh, I, uh, by 86, I was pretty sure that I wanted to to do something related to China. Uh, And that opportunity came along in 87, when my band was invited to go to China. I was playing in a band in in college at UC Berkeley. Uh, We were invited to go to China to play, uh, which... You know, it was something that was really unusual at the time. It was just, just, I think, the only band that had gone there was Wham! UK. We weren't anything. You know, we were playing in local, you know, c- clubs and stuff. Um, it was a vintage 70s progressive rock band with sprawling epic songs and the whole deal, you know, the, the very, very proggy. Uh, but uh, in spite of that, we were <laughs> invited to go to China to play. It didn't end up happening, but I was sort of burning with this, you know, idea that I was going to go there and, and, and play rock. Uh, and so I did. As soon as I graduated in 88, and I just hightailed it over to China. And, uh, you know, I brought a guitar and brought some effects pedals and a little amp and quickly met up with a bunch of musicians. And so after that, it was really easy. It was a kind of a no-brainer uh, to keep, you know, being attached to China because it was just so damn fun. Uh, so after a year there from 88 to 89, you know, which ended with not so much fun in, in 89, I came back to the States uh, and then plunged into graduate studies uh, during which, you know, every summer I would ostensibly be going back to China to try to do research. But in fact, I was just going back to, to hang out with my rocker friends and play shows and, you know, shoot videos and, and record stuff. Uh, and I was finally convinced, well, our, our bass player, the band I started was called Tong Dynasty. And it uh, went on to some fame and notoriety while I was gone, mostly in my absence. So I had very little to do with its success. Uh, but when I came back, uh, in 96, it was because our bass player, 
uh, Zhang Ju had been killed in a, a car accident. He was riding his motorcycle and, and, and killed. And he was sort of the, the and to use a Spinal Tap reference, he was the Derek Smalls of the band in that he was able to keep the, the personalities of our own David St. Hubbins and our own Nigel Tufnell uh, from killing each other. So the lead singer, Ding Wu, and the lead guitarist who had replaced me, Lao Wu, uh, they didn't like each other so much. And he, after he was gone, the band was on the verge of breakup. So they asked me to come back to the band to see if I could help repair things. Uh, so yeah, from from there, it was it was pretty easy. Um, just the, the really quick version of it uh, is I played in the band from 96 to 99. Uh, I left the band in 99 for, for reasons that are very, very complicated. But uh, fortunately, the internet was there. I mean, there were all these people, uh, all this VC money sloshing around. I mean, there was, I mean, everyone was starting a company. And so uh, the night that I left the band, I just sort of sat up by myself, just opened up a, a Word doc and started typing out my sort of my inventory, what I, I thought I could do at this point, go back, finish my degree, or should I just... Uh, start another band or uh, do something else. And, and so the do something else was, was uh, the, the only thing that was there as a catch basin for people like me with no real talents <laughs> was the internet. I mean, I figured, hell, I can, I can string a sentence together. Uh, I know a lot of people in the entertainment world now. Uh, and I taught myself a little HTML and putting together the band's webpage. So maybe I can work in an internet company and, Lo and behold, the very next day, I basically had landed a, a job at a, a new startup called ChinaNow.com. Uh, and from there, you know, having been in editorial and working early, you know, in the early internet, I had, you know, Jack Ma and Speed Dial, so I, I could get a job like yours, you know, the, the doing tech reporting. Uh, there weren't quite as many opportunities back then, but um, there weren't quite as many people trying to do it either, so... Uh, I, I managed to kind of recreate myself as a technology reporter. Uh, and then from there, of course, as you'll find out soon enough, uh, as soon as you kind of have a name as a technology reporter, the companies will come after you to, you know, lure you to the dark side. <laughs> right. So, um, and, and there I went. So, so yeah, before, before we kind of jump into, into, um, you know, your, your career as a, as a communications director, um, in the dark so side. so just so just just um so that was so you here for what like more more than twenty years then yeah more than twenty years and how much and how much of that was uh, corporate kind of working working communications and and you know specifically for Baidu uh, well Baidu is six years uh, so it was from June of two thousand ten until just last year uh, before that I was at Yoku doing a similar job for a couple of years. Before that, I, I kind of went off track for a little while. I, I did spend a little time at Ogilvy uh, in a, an ill-fitting job for me. It was ostensibly director of digital strategy. I don't know. I didn't really do any digital strategy, and they didn't really know quite what to do with me. Uh, that didn't work out so well. Anyway, uh, during that time, I did, though, uh, write a blog on, on what was happening in digital. And it was a really important time. You know, It was around the time that the iPhone came out, so uh, there was a lot to write about. Yeah, I mean, I'm just, I'm just thinking, just thinking back to, um, to you know, when, when you were, when you were at Yoku and and Baidu, um, just how different things, things are, um, you know. So I've been in and out of, of technology and, and media um, since pretty much since I've been in China, um, and my, my last stint out was for about a year and a half, um, and by the time I came back, you know, you were gone, uh, Jeremy Goldcorn 
um, uh, was gone was gone as well. And it just feels like the the atmosphere in terms of in terms of media, in terms of um, coverage and and communication in general, it's just it's just a very very different landscape these days. I take that as a compliment. <laughs> no, it is it is very different. I mean, I think I think no, there's there was no great plan in all of us. You know, Bill Bishop, me, Jeremy, and a bunch of other people, all leading. You know, within a year or so of one another. Uh, I think a lot of it had to do with just we all had kids. You know, our kids were of a certain age. It was sort of time to give them the American leg of their education. Mm. That was the, the primary reason that 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 all of us left, and. Uh, I think, you know, there are tons of really super talented people who continue to go to China, I mean, who have been there for a long time. Um, people do talk about the the changed landscape, and I guess I, I find I find that you know uh, it was nice that we made any kind of an impact at all. But um, I think it's it's as strong as ever. Yeah, it makes a lot yeah, of it, sense, especially in uh, you know the weather in Beijing for for kids is uh, yeah. That's it's, right. It's, I, the god awful pollution. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, how about we uh, we talk a little bit about your time working at Baidu? Because uh, sure. that's where you spent. You know, you, that was your longest stint, right? And it's the it's a company that obviously everyone listening to podcast will will, will know about. Um, to, if you could tell us, like, how you how you landed a job at Baidu? How did you start working there? And you know, how was it? Was it what you imagined when you, before you joined, and actually when you were in working well, in the company? Yeah, I think I think that that Baidu. I mean, I certainly was among the many people you know who had a lot of misgivings about the company. Uh, I think a lot of it had to do with events of early two thousand ten, uh, and notably, you know, Google's pullout from China. There's a kind of psychological habit of mind that we have. Whereby, when you have a narrative that casts one character as such an obvious protagonist in the story, I mean, in in January of 2010, when Google, you know, sort of dramatically announced that they weren't going to censor anymore, even if that meant they'd had to they'd have to pull out of China, uh, I think there were a lot of people who imagined Sergey and Larry and maybe Eric, you know, standing arm in arm in front of a column of of tanks in Tiananmen. And, um, you know, so the white hat clearly went on Google's head. And so who are you going to put the black hat on? Right. Uh, there was, you know, obviously a lot. There were a lot of people who were, you know, huge Google supporters. Uh, I was certainly among them. I, I thought that Google was an excellent product. I think, I, you know, uh, there were there were a lot of people. who. But I think, um, you know, in a sober moment, when you th- think about it, you know, I don't think the narrative was exactly fair. Uh, there was ever, never any evidence that and there, there just simply wasn't true that that Baidu had anything at all to do. Uh, with Google's decision to decap from China, uh, they were certainly the beneficiary of it. But you know there was nothing sinister going on. Uh, Baidu had suffered pretty badly in 2008 because of the the, the Sanlu milk scandal. Uh, this belief that they had on behest of 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 you know these for for for, for sort of uh, commercial reasons had deleted uh, any negative results that you came up with. I think that after having spent some time there, I, I, I realized that the, when they delete stuff like that, it's never for commercial reasons. It's because the fucking government made them do that. Right? Uh, this was, you know, the Olympic year. This was, it was, you know, sort of taking some of the the, the shine off of of Beijing, uh, you know, because of this this horrible milk scandal where all these kids had died or become horribly deformed. My um, 
sense was that my being approached by Baidu had a lot to do with the Google exit. Uh, so they had actually swung around a couple of times before, just through through headhunters. But this time they made a serious, uh, you know, more serious approach, and um, I decided to, to to see what was what was up and go through the the round of interviews. Uh, I really, you know, had wrote written out a pretty thorough diagnosis of what I thought was was wrong with Baidu from a communication standpoint and and uh, what I would try to implement. Uh, and I think that that stood me in good stead during that round of interviews. I was really impressed with the people that I met all the way. I mean, I had known Robin before. I'd known a couple of other people at Baidu just from, you know, interviewing them as a reporter. But, uh, you know, being able to ask them really candid questions and, and have them just give really candid answers uh, gave me a lot of confidence. Uh, you know, it was by no means an absolutely perfect job. There like all jobs. There were a lot of things. I mean, there people would do... Uh, just insanely boneheaded things that I would have to wipe up afterward. Uh, I mean, that's your job as a communications person. But for the most part, I think that that company, you know, had its moral bearings, uh, at least at the leadership level. There were always going to be bad apples, but uh, at the leadership level, I thought that uh, they they had they were noble of purpose and they uh, their politics aligned more or less with mine. So uh, I I found that. They were much more uh, Western. I don't mean to, to suggest that anything non-Western isn't good, but look, I, I'm. I don't know if you, if you guys feel the same way, but I'm a, a, a guileless, dumb American, you know, who's not really capable capable of, of of being cunning and deceitful. I don't thrive in any kind of a Chinese corporate environment that isn't either a a media company where you're supposed to be just sort of a straight shooter. Or be an internet company where you know the culture is derived explicitly from Silicon Valley, and they they kind of like you to be really candid to the point of tactlessness. Hmm. Um, so, is that how you would describe the the corporate culture, Kaiser? There, it's candid and open, and yeah, that's not not just how I would describe it; it's how they describe it too. Um, they the culture was, and they they. they sort of winnowed it down to a, a very nice little slogan, which was just, uh, in, in English, simplicity and reliability. Uh, so, the so uh, simplicity, really what it meant was uh, th that kind of candor that I was talking about. So it was uh, a basically meritocratic company, not very hierarchical, or at least they tried very hard not to be. You, for example, were not allowed to use any honorific titles for other people. Uh, you know, nobody was, you know, Li Zong or Guo Zong or Wang Zong. Uh, it was all just just first names or nicknames or you know whatever people called themselves. And uh, you, you know, they were encouraged to be. You know, to, to stand your ground on a good idea, and to to be, uh, you know, stubborn to the point of insubordinate, uh, and the the culture they they sort of taught it to you uh, with a bunch of what they called analects, the the, the writings uh, that they gave you at the beginning that everyone was obliged to read. Really interesting because it's just story after story drawn from you know the the, the history of the company of employees who basically defy their their managers uh, you know quite quite high up into the chain 
and prevail. Their idea turns out to be, you know, a multi-million dollar idea. They, they, it turns out they had the better idea. So I, I like that about the company, that they, they, there was this sort of, um, you know, really Silicon Valley-esque uh, ethos to it. Well, well as, as, as you mentioned, you know, there were, there were um, as, as you described it, some bad apples and, and people did do some, some boneheaded things that you had to clean up. Um, but I mean, like, you know, there, that, that's the, the, the interesting thing about Baidu, I think, in, in, in part because it is a search business that is run, you know, it's, a lot of its revenue is going to come from, from advertisements. A lot of the problems it's had is, be, is exactly because of, of those, those advertisements. Um, so, for example, sure. like the San Lu, um, more recently with, um, with uh, advertisements for, for hospitals and, and, and things like that. Um, and so, and, and it's even been, some people have even described Baidu less as a technology company and, and more, more of a sales company. I mean, would you, would you agree with that? And, and would you m- maybe um, attribute some of those boneheaded things due to that? I would not say that it is, you know, more of a sales company than a technology company. I think it's a technology company that, you know, where the sales is often done, you know, kind of ineptly. The technology is great. I mean, I, I mean, I if you if you know anything about the company, it's it's sort of of by and for the engineer. It's it's a very very tech driven company. Um, sales, you know, I mean, they 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 have wrestled with a lot of different issues, and yeah, a lot of it is related to pharmaceuticals and to to medical. Uh, this is an area that I think has, you know, wisely been foreclosed to Google for a very long time. Uh, it's it's a fraught, difficult area, but it's one uh, where I think Baidu made the bet that they could do it if they if they were really really vigilant, they could do it right. Uh, I think in in the most recent case, you know, with this this cancer treatment at a, a Wuxing hospital that, that ended in the unfortunate death of this young man, uh, you know. As in all other cases, look, they, they, they really make the advertiser jump through the hoops. They, they make them show all the proper documentation, show that they are duly licensed to offer whatever therapy it is that they are offering. And, uh, uh, you know, they can't be absolutely perfect. And unfortunately, the, the stakes of imperfection are very high in the case of medical technologies. But in this case... To me, it was obvious that the the anger that was directed at Baidu was all out of proportion to Baidu's crime. That that where anger really ought to have been, and I think was more naturally directed, was toward the totally fucked up Chinese healthcare system. Was toward you know the sort of the venality that that pervades society. But uh, the government realized this as well and and decided let's just throw Baidu under the bus and uh, direct you know the ire of the people toward that that company. And so you know they went out of their way to, to uh, you know to, to lambast Baidu in, in on, on different state-owned media, uh, and this is not the first time that that sort of thing has happened either. We're we're going to come on to a similar topic with Tencent later on, I think. Uh, you know, of getting criticised by the government, and uh, and and how, how how that works in China. Um, so you, you were at Baidu for. a for a long time, kind of like six, six years, years. and, and in, in, in China time, that's a long time, and in China sure. internet time, that's a that's an incredibly long time. <laughs> um, what, and if you could just like pick out some of the more interesting changes that you've seen over over those six years at Baidu, I'm sure there were many, 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 but you know, a couple that that really stuck in your mind. 
Yeah, I mean, I think landing there uh, right away, I mean, you had to hit the ground running. There was so much to be done. Um, well, first of all, in managing the, the whole Google narrative, I think I did a pretty good job on that, uh, really understanding how to talk about uh, internet censorship and how to talk about all these other things uh, and, and to explain Baidu's perspective on things because uh, I think it's very different than, than what was popularly imagined. You know, Baidu wasn't the, the you know, a willing uh, participant in in censorship, you know, they fought it as best they could, and made you know compromises that I think were sensible and and ethical. The uh, the rest of it, I mean, I think that it was it was relatively easy in my first couple of years because uh, again because of Google's exit. I mean, there was a period of kind of complacency. I think that that everyone would identify that began shortly after the Google exit. And went all the way up until really the summer of 2012, uh, where I think Baidu made some mistakes. I think that uh, in terms of its culture, it just it didn't have the same sort of uh, ruthlessness and hunger, which is good. Uh, but the, the, you pay a price for that, and and probably most importantly, they were not quick out the gate on the mobile revolution. They didn't have a strong. Uh, smartphone offering when they should have I mean they were they were late there's just no question that they were they didn't realize its enormousness uh, until they were going to suffer some competitional disadvantage from it uh, so I think yeah summer of 2012 was probably the most dramatic so if you'll you know think back to that time I mean the, the rise of of by then, it was clear that you know our anxiety over having been out laid out the gate was was obvious. But we also faced this sudden upstart challenge from from Shihu uh, from 360, which had launched its own uh, quote unquote search product. It had already you know dominated, um, <laughs> grabbed a big portion of the browser market. Uh, we, we knew where that was going. I think there were some people who sort of knew what might come of it inevitably, but then they suddenly you know launched search and. It was it was quite a, a moment of panic for the company. Yeah, and it's interesting too because you mentioned you mentioned mobile, and certainly Baidu isn't the only company that uh, got caught uh, flat-footed. Um, you know, Facebook I think is, is is one that comes very easy to mind. Absolutely, um, yeah. But but I remember actually because um, I actually interviewed you about this when you were working in Baidu about um, the. I, I think at the time you didn't you didn't call it an Android fork, but it was basically uh, Android-based operating system. Created by Baidu, but that doesn't seem seem to have actually actually gone anywhere. Yeah, there are plenty of people who did the same thing, and they didn't go anywhere either. You know, where's Ollie with theirs? Where's Tencent with theirs? Right. Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, it turns out that that plain vanilla uh, Android was pretty much good enough for most people, right? I mean, Baidu's filled filled with you know highly intelligent, um, very very techy people, as you say. I'm sure. They must. Have, they saw the mobile revolution coming. The, you know, I think what they they didn't understand was how uh, fundamentally different the experience would be. How they would really need to retool. I mean, I think there were a lot of people, even people in the very senior leadership, who fundamentally believed that the product didn't need to change that much to port to a new platform. Uh, they they I think they hadn't really internalized just how different the whole user experience would be uh, doing search. I think they, they hadn't really thought about the, the, the difference in use cases. Uh, they, I, thought, I think they, that they can certainly be faulted for that, but um, 
that was the blind spot. Yeah, and Ke- so Kaiser, you mentioned um, you know 360 coming out with their their own search product, um, and you know kind of changing changing gears a little bit. Um, 360 Chihu 360 is one of those those companies that has become um, notorious for their uh, their willingness, and in fact, it seems to be part of their their uh, publicity strategy is to just pick a lot of fights. Um, and to be very, very public yeah, about to be evil yeah. <laughs> exactly, and to be very public with those. And so it's 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 really interesting now because like you look at um, like companies like Mobike and, and Ofo, who are you know the two biggest competitors when it comes to um, when it comes to the the bike rental industry right now. Um, but on the surface, at least you know at least publicly, the competition um, is is fairly tame. Um, and so I'm kind of curious. I mean, looking back at at your time here in China, uh, in your role as Baidu, or or in previous positions, or just as a tech reporter, you know, what what are some of the the wilder examples of just kind of Chinese tech companies um, taking their grievances public? Because right now it just feels very very tame compared to what I at least what I saw um, in in the past. Yeah, I would certainly agree with your characterization of that. Um, yeah, I think during. The, the time that I was at Baidu, it was all-out warfare. I mean, uh, everyone trying to, to undermine everyone else, you know, to plant negative stories about the other companies. I, I don't really... We were completely separate. I, I worked... International Communications was under investor relations, so we didn't really always know what domestic PR was up to. But, um, you know, everyone had their bag of, of dirty tricks. Uh, there was a lot of, you know, deliberate depositioning of other people. Uh you know, so that that's just on the on the PR front. I mean, I just on business strategy as well. I mean, I don't, I think nobody stooped quite as low as 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 Chihu 360 did. They they were really. I mean, they were you know the and oddly, I think they were admired by some people in this fucked up, you know, completely amoral culture that we live in, where you know anti heroes are venerated. I mean, they were really the 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 villain on the scene. From I mean, as far as I was concerned they they did some pretty horrible things um, from the time that Zhou Hongyi exited from Yahoo. I mean, it was you know they had this 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 product. I think this is probably the most interesting. I think if you follow the whole story of of, of Zhou Hongyi and and 360, there you will find a, a, a you know just some some real scummy and villainous behavior. Uh, what he did, I think this is a great story. I think this is just everyone should know about this. So he, he had this uh, tool called 3721, 3721, Sensi It was extremely popular. It, what it did was it would, it would be, it was a browser toolbar uh, that would resolve Chinese language input. Um, for example, you know, not everyone knew that NetEase was one six three or the, but they all knew that it was called Wang Yi. So you could type in Wang Yi and it would resolve to one six three dot com. You could type in Xinlang and it would resolve to Sina dot com dot cn. I mean that those are just you know, more obvious examples. You could type in uh, really the Chinese names of any internet property and it would resolve to the correct URL because not everyone could remember these URLs. Often they weren't written in standard pinyin and sometimes they were just difficult to remember. So. Uh, it was. It became a very, very widespread and useful product, and it would, you know, install itself rather stubbornly. And sometimes, when you weren't looking, you know, you'd land on a web page, and and it would automatically install this this browser toolbar. Well, everyone all started getting in on the action. There were a lot of other companies that launched these things, and they all went for this kind of 
stubborn, like aggressive install and stubborn resistance to being uninstalled through normal methods. But Zhou uh, Hongyi, he was he was the worst. So he sold that company, thirty seven twenty one, to Yahoo. Uh, and you know, they, they acquired the company and then he joined as general manager when it when the writing was on the wall it was clear that he was falling out with them he started developing Chihu on the side and the first thing that he did out the gate as soon as he left he took 104 engineers with him when he left but then as soon as he, he left he launched this product along with Kaspersky which was purpose built to uninstall Sanchiariao <laughs> the very product he had sold to Yahoo I mean it was that was what it was for. It would identify it as malware and uninstall it. And uh, that that's, I, I thought it was kind of, I mean, hats off. That That's like truly like evil and, and, and warped. Uh, and that was not the only thing that he did. I mean, he's done many, many other things, but I think I, I might, you know, be subject to um, legal action if I spill too much of this. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, because also but one of the things that, that, that comes to mind is the, is the 360 uh, Tencent war. Um, very, very similar because, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, like yeah. Chihu, they, one, of, one of their their biggest products was this uh, desktop um, antivirus uh, tool. And, and at one point, they got into this, this huge uh, war of words between, between Tencent and, uh, and, and 360 because Chihu identified QQ as, as malware. And there, then, That's then right. there was this... The same MO. Exactly. Exactly. But what, what, but what, what was going on behind that? I mean, was there something, something else besides, you know, or was it just, um, you know, Tencent and QQ just kind of stubbed each other's toes? Well, you know... You watch American electoral politics and, and during the Republican primary. It's always you get the most press if you go after the, the biggest target, right? If you're a little guy and you decide you want to pick a fight with somebody, you don't pick a fight with another little guy. I mean, you got to walk up to the biggest bully on campus and just like, you know, pop in the face. And that's what he did. Uh, I mean, Tencent at that time was already clearly emerging as, as the big, the big one of BAT, right? Uh, so they went after them. Uh, they knew that there were there was a lot of, of 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 stuff that they could say that would resonate with with Chinese internet users. You know, Tencent itself is not as pure as the driven snow. There are a lot of things that they've done in terms of their really aggressive user acquisition. In terms of, I mean, there were, there were a lot of things about QQ that legit could have been called sort of you know malware ish, right? I don't think that it was all spelled out in the end user license agreement either, the terms of service. Uh, uh, yeah, I think that wasn't, they weren't the only company that, that, that did things like that. So uh, that was their strategy. They, they did the same thing. You know, they, the first fight they actually picked was with Alibaba. Uh, they, right out the gate, you know, because Alibaba, I mean, like I said, they, they launched this product that uninstalled Chihu, uh, that uninstalled uh, 3721. Uh, Yahoo had acquired that. And of course, Yahoo was now under the stewardship of, of Jack Ma. And then, uh, they they basically went to war. I mean, they went to war really, really badly. You know, at, at that at one point, uh, they were not you know buying each other's advertising. They were not working together in any way. There were there's a lot of you know public vilification, mutual recrimination, and stuff. Uh, so they, that was the first. I mean, then they went to war w- with Tencent, and then finally in 2012 they went to war with Baidu. Uh, that was that was all sort of. I mean, and and yeah, they. Everyone knew their name, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. But um, but as but as you say, I mean, like they they they're 
mean, they, they, it seems like they they have just made made themselves into a notorious brand rather than some something that uh, that people um, are necessarily willing willing to trust. I mean, it feels like whenever I see Chi Hu in the news, which to be honest, these days I don't I don't see very often. Right, um, right. They're faded. Yeah, exactly. They're 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 much more low key now. Um, you know, it's just like oh my gosh, here here they here they go again, and so. To some degree, you know, it seems like their strategy might have um, just just kind of worn itself out. Um, but um, that'd be good. <laughs> finally, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Tencent three sixty thing, I think, was it was pretty great. I mean, like it affected every, pretty much every desktop user in the country. Suddenly, was That's like right. left with this message on their screen when they tried to log into QQ, saying, you know, it's us or them. And um, and so that's why it's kind of like the classic. I, I can't think of a better case study of, of how the Chinese internet, you know, back in the day was just a, a very different place from from what yeah, from right. from what non Chinese users would. Uh, I mean, if, if anything like that happened, you know, in the states or something, it would just be mind blowing for for something like that so to just. You know. There was a precedent for that in in the era of 3721 and its multiple competitors, including one that was actually put out by CNNIC, the China Network Information Center, or whatever it's called. Uh, you know, the people who put out the report. They actually had one of these products as well, and it was also kind of you know evil. This <laughs> in this time, uh, a lot of people's computers just stopped working because. Uh, the, they were all basically built to uninstall the other and, and install themselves in, in a way that was very, very hard to, to get rid of. And a lot of you know people's computers were just simply freezing up. It was a terrible time. It's horrible, horrible for the user. But but it seems it seems that now it's actually like you know you look at um, Alibaba and and Tencent, and, and so obviously there's there still is that tension between the two companies, um, but. The, the the tension is 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 more on like a strategic level it seems um and and they yeah. don't they don't really take things the land grab right. exactly exactly so you know with right. with we- they, 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 i mean it's a lot of proxy wars um most of the time when you look at major uh, areas i mean whether it was back in the o2o wars or in in the rideshare well rideshare they were aligned but um in the the bikes now there's usually one company behind one and another behind one of the rivals and so yeah, so proxy wars, and yeah, I think a part of it is that that their their territories have sort of congealed, right? They they kind of know where the borders are, and and there are still skirmishes, but it's not an existential war of, of you know total war at this point. It's more like two internets on the phone. Yeah, I think <laughs> yeah. you you might think of it that way. Um, and yeah, in those two companies so utterly dominate the scene it's just it's really remarkable yeah so how would, i mean you're, you're back in the states now kaiser like i am yes you are and um you know you're still very much a, a figurehead for uh for, for china technology um in uh, in the states i imagine you're 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 going around you're talking to a lot of people about it doing a, you, you do public speaking i guess and and, and things um around the states what are you sensing from the perception of people about Chinese technology? I think the narrative has so completely shifted. I mean, if you think back just to the spring of 2015, um, it was, you know, the campaign season. Joe Biden, uh, the former VP, was going around making speeches at graduations talking about uh, how 
China was incapable of innovation, and and the United it was patting the U.S. on the back because uh, having a free, more or less free internet. Uh, guaranteed somehow that we were going to continue to, to dominate in innovation uh, by the end of the year, really, uh, by the end of 2015, or certainly into 2016, th- you saw a completely different uh, angle. I mean, people had recognized by that point that Chinese companies not only were, were, were you know, quite capable of innovation, but that they had some really amazing products. I mean, this was this was happening not only in hardware. I think people were, were really waking up to just w- how many blades that Swiss Army knife of, of, of Tencent's, you know, uh, WeChat actually had in it. They were seeing, you know, bike sharing happen in 2017, uh, tw- late 2016, early 2017, and, and realizing, look, uh, God, I mean, I don't know how many times I was interviewed about this shifting narrative, but it was pretty clear that at least... Uh, Western reporters writing about China had all decided that the whole uh, China is only capable of imitation, not of innovation. That narrative had just it was passe, right? So that's the biggest thing. Uh, and obviously, you know, there's there's a reason for that. I mean, I wish it had happened a few years previous. I think, but I think it probably deserved to be written beginning in you know maybe 2012 or 13. But clearly, to me. Um, you know, there was really good reason. They, they you, you couldn't, any fair observer couldn't look at the technology ecosystems of the two countries and not see that China had really developed something that was worthy of, of, of singling out for innovative, uh, you know, praiseworthiness. <laughs> oh, God, that was so badly said. <laughs> very, very, very corporate, though. Um, so, so I mean, I, but it, but it's, it's it's interesting because yeah, I mean, China China has has this environment where um, all these innovative products are are coming out. But the, the 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 next big question is, can they make it global? You know, you're looking like you look at you look at WeChat and and you know Tencent. Um, they have not number one. They haven't done much work to uh, to make it into a global product. And and the next question is, can they? Um, you know, they're they're right. a, a very domestically focused company. Um, a lot of their international forays are through you know other companies that 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 that, that they've acquired. Um, and so I'm curious. I mean, do you think that they're that that there are uh, innovations or or products that that are gaining uh, momentum here in China that, that that are a bit more exportable. Well, I think it, it, the, the hardware. Uh, there's no question that it is. I mean, obviously, the, China's got so much going on in drones and so much going on in uh, IoT. Uh, that that let's leave that aside and look at just sort of consumer internet products. And then then I have to conclude that no, well, that China neither the Chinese companies really don't have the capacity to do that right now and probably shouldn't. So let me suggest, I mean, I'm going to borrow an idea that I think I, I first heard, I first talked about with Clay Shirky, that maybe, you know, the, the very things that make Chinese internet companies so successful in China, let's look at Tencent, you know, just the tight integration with the financial services here, you know, with the banks, with uh, with a huge bunch of, of, of services that are available online or offline, for that matter. Uh, th- those very things, uh, it's familiarity with the regulatory environment, it's willingness. Those are the very things that would hobble it were it to try to expand internationally. It just doesn't have that. Uh, I mean, it's the same for Alibaba as well. Um, it's, it's, the, the, it's so, it has 
um, fit itself to Chinese realities so very well that when you move it to another environment, it, it just doesn't have those skills. So if you'll indulge me for a second, I, I, I the, the somehow one day I just kind of came up with this and it, it just makes a lot of sense to me. You have to think of these Chinese internet companies as a, you know, let's, let's call it generic company, uh, Chinese companies, a band of ice age hunters. They're very good at bringing down woolly mammoths. They, they, they know exactly how they spook from fire or noise. They know how to stampede them off cliff sides. They know where to stab them with spears that kill them quickly. They know how to avoid being trampled. They know what cuts of meat are tastiest and which ones preserve well. Uh, they, they really know everything there is to know about hunting, killing, and using these woolly mammoths. There's still, at this point, a lot of woolly mammoths out there, and it seems to me that that they should be focused on uh, on stripping and preserving all that meat, bringing down the, you know more woolly mammoths, and you know fighting off the the carrion fowl and the hyenas or whatever uh, the, the 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 scavengers, rather than you know doing what this one one guy you know in the tribe stands up and he looks across the tundra and he sees a herd of caribou over there and he says look them caribou look tasty but they don't know how to hunt them they don't know anything about them they don't know i mean it, would it be a wise decision to abandon all this woolly mammoth flesh lying rotting on the ground to chase the the caribous probably not uh i think that crossing the bering strait after the caribou would not be smart well, well what about what about the opposite um so what about what about the 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 tribes on the other on the other side hunting the caribou now now looking at China's China's woolly mammoths um, you know I remember uh, when I first um, encountered encountered you was when um, Groupon was uh, coming into China and I think you famously said that um, that I can't remember the, the exact quote but basically let's not try to re- reconstruct that quote. <laughs> I think I remember it. yeah but it basically basically the the gist of it was that they're not doing very well and they they don't they really don't know what they're don't really don't know what they're doing. Um, right, and they, they didn't do very well, did they? They did not. They did not. Um, uh, so it's, it's, thank you, first of all, for indulging me with that metaphor and for carrying it on and, and <laughs> not talking about caribou hunters <laughs> looking at woolly, woolly mammoths. Yeah, but, I, I'm just um, I think there, it, it doesn't really work anymore um, because, you know, the, the woolly mammoths, for one thing, aren't behind a protective wall, um, which, which is, you know, sort of a, a, a permeable membrane only in one direction, right? I mean, Chinese companies aren't really prevented from trying at least to compete in the U.S. where right now, so I don't think this is true if you go back to 2007, 2008, uh, but now it, it, they would have, they would face incredible difficulties. Not, not only do we have the new cybersecurity law and a, a slew of other laws that would require them to do things that I think a lot of internet companies would be very uncomfortable doing, but also just the, the, the simple fact of censorship. I think that it just, just runs so against uh, the, the principles of, of so many of these internet companies. Uh, so different story. Uh, it's not for lack of, well, there, there are plenty of reasons why American internet companies, even w- were they not uh, faced with those sorts of regulatory strictures, would still fail. Uh, I think it would be, look, I mean, Facebook is talking about coming into China, but does anyone really think that they're going to eat significantly into the numbers of either Weibo or or Weixin? 
I don't I no, don't think not so. All. Not at all. But I guess but the question that I wanted to ask could be because um, Apple, um, you know, if you asked me two years ago, is, is there one company that can kind of buck this trend of of of, uh, of companies coming into China, tech companies coming into China and failing? I thought it would be Apple. Uh, but it seems that their 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 market share just keeps dropping year year after year. So so what's what's your take? Well, I mean, it's still significant, right? I I mean. I, I wouldn't write it off. I mean, if you look at the percentage of, of Apple's global revenues that are coming from China, it's still enormous. Uh, I think Apple has still managed to do very well. It's still a prestige brand there. Uh, I mean, it's still ubiquitous. If you, especially in in the metropolitan areas, you know, people use use iPhone sevens, iPhone six six pluses. I mean, they're they're, they're still doing fine. Um, their market share is is. Of course, it's it's falling. I mean, there are so many excellent uh, Android-based handsets from, you know, from all of these companies that you'd not heard of uh, just a few years ago. I mean, Xiaomi's up maybe one only one of many. Oppo, Vivo, all these other companies, with fine handsets, and of course, uh, there's there's Huawei. I uh, I just I think that. I wouldn't write them off. I, I think that that they're still they've still got a lot of juice in China. Uh, I thought we were going to talk about their decision to uh, host data in their new data center in Guizhou, but uh, maybe we can also talk about that. Yeah, definitely. And also, of course, their their recent uh, removal of, of VPNs from the from the China. Ah, right, 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 right. So. So yeah, so that's that's what I was going to ask next, actually. And so, what do you what do you make of this? And so, it, like, it's it, everything. The past couple of months, um, you know, there, there there's new stories. There's lots of different stories um, about how the, the government is moving against uh, VPNs. And now, you know, Apple has removed all of these uh, VPN so- uh, apps from from the App Store. So, you know, I mean. All three of us, we we've seen you know uh, controversy. We've seen you know uh, feathers ruffled uh, whenever something happens with VPNs. Everyone kind of um, goes goes a bit crazy for a while, and then it, and then it dies down. I mean, are, are we seeing something similar again? Is it another storm in the teacup, or is it? Do you think it's something bigger than that? Hard to say. Um, it's it's certainly look the nineteenth party congress is coming up. The, there's obviously a lot of skittishness. I mean, more than than usual. Uh, and China's in a, a position where it it can, I mean it, it it it's 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 got a whole lot more. Uh, well, not not just more at stake, but also just sort of more muscle. Uh, unfortunately, I, I think this time it might be um, more serious. I don't know that they're going to foreclose every way uh, for uh, people to 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 hop the wall. It will still continue to happen. I think it's it's not ever going to be you know a one hundred percent shut, but that's not the intention. Probably the intention is to just uh, you know keep that number of VPN users below uh, whatever threshold it is where they think that there's a possibility of sort of a broader infection. Um, this has always been the policy, and uh, you know it's they they tweak it just based on how sensitive things are politically at home. They tweak it according to you know how many people they think are actually you know using it, but it's never been a huge number. I think uh, you know it probably has never been over two or three percent of the population of the internet population that uses any kind of circumvention technology at all. Um, I think that you know it's for those the people who do use it, they are they are a, a very 
uh, important piece of the internet using demographic, but they're also a piece that uh, is worrisome to Beijing for obvious reasons. You know, because they they are people who do have a lot of connections outside of China and are really interested in in, in what's going on outside of China. There's reason to believe that they might you know uh, be a conduit for uh, you know for for dissent, right? For the spread of dissenting ideas. I think that um, the what you know companies like Apple have done here I, with all all these companies they they need to uh, make a very simple well it's not it's not a simple calculation at all I mean it seems superficially simple but it's how much good can you do how how big of a compromise do you need to make and uh, how much commercial success do you actually stand to enjoy I mean so you have you know your conscience. To, to have a dialogue with, uh, and then you also have your shareholders, your stakeholders up to 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 dialogue with, and you know in in Apple's case, uh, the the commercial uh, is is the, the commercial element of that is huge, right? They are so dependent on on selling phones in China, uh, they 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 can't, they're not in a position where they would be able to easily. Say well, no, no, fuck you. I'm not going to. I mean, it's not like San Bernardino where they're not. They're just going to be able to stand fast and say we're not turning over source code. They are going to uh, store user data where it's accessible to Chinese law enforcement on data centers in China in accordance with this new cybersecurity law. I mean, I, that was inevitable. They are going to take VPNs off of uh, their app store in accordance with Chinese dictates. I mean, unfortunately, I, I think there's very little wiggle room for them there. Uh, you look at a company like Facebook, which is weighing going in, the calculus is very different. They don't stand to do much good. They don't stand to enjoy much by way of commercial success there. Uh, and the compromise they would have to make is enormous. So I think that, you know, for me, I, I know how I would decide in both of these cases. Yeah, I think it was, it was just inevitable that this something like this was going to happen with... Um taking it taking all these vpns off off the app store uh i was personally surprised it you know hasn't happened it took so long to happen um and as you've alluded to uh, about baidu you know this censorship i think even the chinese companies as well also don't like a lot of the rules that they have to uh, of course not yeah. um have to deal with so i think let's not make the mistake that this is just um you know, against foreign companies. I think, I think you know, I've, I've heard the same thing from Tencent people, you know, that a lot of the stuff that happens on, on WeChat and other platforms is not them. They they can't, it's done directly uh, through, you know, by the government. And um, they yeah, don't like I mean, it, and a, but they have to deal with it. Right, of course. Um, these are all consumer-facing internet companies and none of them are so foolish as to think that the consumer prefers censored results or censored anything, right? Yeah, it's, it's difficult to say. I, I agree with you about Apple. I think that um, they're, they're not doomed. They're, you know, it's not we're not going to write them off in China. Um, but it's certainly clear on being on the ground, seeing like how people there has been a shift in the consumer mindset. I think about about Apple, um, whereas you know, so much of Apple is about their brand, right? So much is about the the, the halo effect, and uh, you know, I've just been. I've just been seeing, you know, that 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 change a bit on the ground, where people who were religious, 
Apple, you know, iPhone users, you know, especially men in particular, not less women, but you know, switching and 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 the local competitors really have caught up with some 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 very very decent phones. Um, Absolutely. So it's not so much about um, you know just being a foreign brand or or a, or a local brand. It's more just there's a level playing field now. Uh, I think with the with with just the handsets, whereas before Apple, especially when the you know the whole mobile. Uh, things started out, and they they pretty much invented uh, this this whole category. Uh, they just had such there was just such a huge spread uh, between what they offered and what 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 Android devices offer. Whereas now that gap is 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 very much closed, and the local competitors can closed, yes. can can actually offer in many ways um, phones that are more suited to the local. To, you know, you can have dual SIM card, they have app mirroring and stuff. You can have two WeChat's on one phone. Um, you know all the sort of like building filters for the cameras, so you take selfies and your skin looks a bit whiter and stuff without without even using an app. Um, you know all that kind of stuff is 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 really what the consumers <laughs> want here. Yeah, as unfortunate as that may be. <laughs> um, but so so uh, I wanted to bring the conversation uh, back a little bit to some of the some of the things that that we were we we're talking about before, uh, and, and and dealing a little bit with uh, government relations um, and how these these big companies uh, deal with the government, whether um, it's censorship or, or or something else. And you know, Matt and I we talked uh, in a recent episode about uh, you know Tencent's hit game, um, Honor of Kings, um, also called mm-hmm. sometimes. Um, Strike of Kings or um, Arena of Valor, I believe. Excuse me, Strike Strike of Glory or um, Arena of Valor, which is uh, or any permutation thereof exactly. of strikes and glories <laughs> and honors. And yeah, they, they they still they still haven't stuck stuck with uh, with a specific English name yet. But um, but one of the things that, that that we did discuss was that you know there had there's there was a bit of a, I wouldn't call it a war of words, but there was a back and forth publicly between uh, the People's Daily. And ten cent, and it all began with uh, a commentary in the People's Daily criticizing Honor of Kings for for being poison, for um, you know creating this 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 product that that hooked people in, and in particular uh, children, and got them to spend inordinate amount of time um, playing this game. Um, so I'm curious. I mean, like, so so look, look looking looking back at you know your time here, and you know. Um, you know, you're, we, one, one of the great things about, about you and, and the podcast is how you guys really kind of deal with um, a, lot of, uh, a lot of these these types of issues. And so, I mean, is it normal for the People's Daily to, to criticize a large uh, company like Tencent? And, and what, do you, what do you think it means? Well, it's, it's really hard to say. Uh, the People's Daily is, yes, of course, an official organ. Uh, it, it, it does in many cases represent a state view but there are also people who just sort of are op-ed writers who, who write without a whole ton of political supervision or a lot of you know so it's it's not it's not a foregone conclusion that anything appearing in the pages of the people's daily is going to represent a new policy direction or is meant to but let's let's assume that it is i i can also understand that i mean i i'm the father of an 11 year old boy who if I didn't control him, would spend every goddamn waking hour playing Minecraft. I mean, there's just no question. Or if not Minecraft, I mean, he would be Minecraft, or it would be, you know, Roblox, or 
or you know something having to do with uh, I guess I mean he'd be on his computer all the damn time uh, and I, I kind of you know I, I, I get that I understand that you know China is still a really kind of heavily paternal kind of nanny state and, and it the Chinese government doesn't see it as odd or strange that it ought to take an interest in you know how its children are spending their time I mean they they force them to do all sorts of silly things uh, I'm I don't know I mean I, I'm, I'm of two minds on this I think that that um, you know video games can be highly highly addictive I don't know that it's I think you know it's it, it first line of defense obviously is parenting but uh, I can sympathize with the people who who sort of uh, think the government might have a role to play in in curbing these and, and imposing time limits or uh, they, they've tried to do this many times before, right? With different companies, with different gaming companies, just having these sort of auto uh, timeouts, um, especially, or, or yeah, yeah. The, all, I can't remember all the number of, of, of things that they've imposed to try to limit gameplay, but not not unusual. It didn't it didn't even pop out to me. It was just sort of noise for me. Okay, so not some probably nothing too much to worry about but difficult to well i mean if you're if you're if you're tencent you know obviously there is if you're a tencent shareholder maybe there is i i don't really know the revenue contributions of that particular game but yeah but i think from a social perspective i i, I don't think this is at all unusual yeah I, I guess they don't really break down the numbers uh game by game so certainly they've had a big surge in the last quarter uh in gaming yeah yeah and I honestly don't watch that 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 segment very much at all. Yeah, I mean, it's not you're kind of either into gaming or you're not for most people. Um, it's um, but we are, are, are you know we sp- we spoke about it a lot in the last podcast, didn't we, John? Uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's because it's gone to mobile, right? I think that's the key: is that um, gaming on the PC? Yes, I mean we, we touched upon it on last thing. You know, the sort of net bar phenomenon that's been around for, for so many years in China and that's you know very well documented that um, you know parents don't like that um, there's been regulation against net bars many many times I think but um, now it's on the phone and now these games the technology is there to make these games really really good on, on the mobile phone um, and that's that's kind of like the there's, there's what, what's what's changed with this one I think is that um, yeah, ah, this, see, this yeah. Honor of Kings. Is, I didn't even realize it was more than just a PC game. Um, yeah, yeah, it's 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 it's, private, it's mobile only game. In fact, I think. Ah, okay. So yeah, it shows you how much I watch games. <laughs> Um, so so yeah so I think you know we're we're almost uh, we're almost um, towards towards the end and so I wanted to to, to bring the conversation uh, full circle you know at, at the beginning we were talking um, about your experience um, at at Baidu and some of the, some of the changes that that that, that we've seen um, and and the thing is what's interesting about Baidu is that you know it it, it used to be BAT so uh, the 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 big three of of China uh, but over the last year or so um, Baidu seems to have lost a bit of its a bit of its stand. Um, and and now uh, a lot of the, the the news, a lot of the progress seems to be made by the AT, so uh, Alibaba, 
and and Tencent. Um, and so what what I find to be quite interesting is um, Baidu trying to do O two O. And so you know, as you mentioned before, a lot of these companies they're kind of they end up doing kind of proxy proxy battles or proxy wars by investing in other companies. Whereas Baidu, they just went whole hog and and did their own uh, YMI um, delivery company. And so I'm so I'm just curious. I mean, like you know, do you do you think that that was a mistake? Um, and and why do you think that they they decided to go down go down that hole? Um, I think that it was a reasonable decision at the time. Uh, I think that. Baidu obviously had some real core competencies that would lend itself to doing that particularly well. It had a lot of experience working with with small businesses. Uh, it had, you know, the the best mapping technology. It had uh, really good uh, AI powered uh, sort of multi point to multi point logistics systems. I think it would be able to do. I mean, it, there, there's no reason to think that it wouldn't be able to do a good job. Uh, of course, that's not the only variable. You know, the other the, the competition is really huge, and and there's, a, you know, it's how big your war chest is, how long you're willing to, to subsidize. Uh, but look, look, let's just make the mistake here. Baidu and the other uh, O2O companies, you know, Meituan and and so forth, they've changed the behavior of the market. I mean, it, they fundamentally altered it right now. I mean, the, the percentage of meals that are eaten at home, you know, then delivered, the uh, the number of movie theater tickets that are bought online, the number of uh, all of every, everything that, that everyone you know did O two O wise, has profoundly changed consumer behavior. There is a market there where there wasn't one before. I don't think it's. Uh, I don't think that that it was an entire entirely a mistake. I think that there was ferocious competition. I think that. Uh, it it didn't pay out, uh, but I think also the market hasn't been patient for it. Uh, you know, I don't know. I, I looked at Baidu's stock prices. I do just every morning just to see, you know, if I should be angry that I sold early. <laughs> I'm angry that I sold early. No, it, it, <laughs> it, it it passed recently the point at which I sold, which was like in 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 March of last year. I think I got out for like 192, but it was over 200 bucks the other yeah. day. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Their their so their their Q2 report was uh, was really they good. had a, a killer yeah killer second quarter. Yeah. Uh, back to basics. A lot of it is. Um, yeah, yeah, this company is resilient. It'll, it'll weather this and many other storms. I'm, it may not, you know, it may be pretty low in the rankings compared to to, to Ali and Tencent right now. But uh, I think that it's it's got some very very strong people. It's got some uh, tr- tremendously good technologies. I think that it, it is a company that has always sort of invested for a, a, a further future. Robin is. Uh, is you know a real visionary? I think he 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 has a a view of how technology is going to evolve uh, that I I find very persuasive. That I think uh, you know that that deep learning is is so profoundly transformative uh, that uh, autonomous driving is going to be so profoundly transformative, and I don't see the other companies as thick in the mix as, as Baidu is in any other of these areas. Mm. 
Mm. Well, certainly, I mean, they are uh, Tencent and Alibaba are are working on you know in-house uh, AI solutions and in machine machine sure. learning. But Baidu is really the only company that they they seem to really just be staking their future on artificial intelligence, um, which which I think you know it it, it it makes a lot of sense. But the but the real question is, I mean, are they going to be able to to create products out of that, and and how? Um, and what types of products? I mean, and will they be consumer facing? Will they be uh, business facing? Um, and so, so it's quite interesting. Yeah, some of them are. Some of them will be invisible. I mean, I think already uh, in while I was still there, uh, we were seeing significant bumps in click through rates and in uh, a lot of other you know uh, I think important uh, metrics that were attributable directly to use of deep learning technology in in algorithmic ranking in ranking of paid results it was very very obvious uh, that, that AI was already profoundly impacting the core business uh, this isn't something that you know everyone is going to immediately notice it's just like you wouldn't notice if Netflix suddenly got remarkably better you know 10% better in their uh their recommendation engine, right? But, you know, Netflix certainly would notice. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, that's the sort of thing that we're talking about. Uh, there, but there will be more. There will be, I think, uh, I think transformative technologies like uh, truly usable voice recognition mm-hmm. where just mumbling and speaking in really ordinary English to your device will become very commonplace because it'll be possible soon. Yeah. I mean, I already do it all the time when I'm driving, and I'm very frustrated. But uh, in 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 I mean, with Baidu, it's actually quite good. I mean, I used it for maps constantly when I was living in China, and it was really quite good. It's really interesting. What you know, Baidu's a lot of people, the cynics, say that you know Baidu would say, okay, Baidu's doing this because they have to. They don't really have any choice, right? They've kind of lost mobile to Tencent and Alibaba. So what are they going to do? I mean, they they have to put you know, they have to put all their eggs in 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 the AI basket. Um, what would you say to someone who was who was who was uh, you know taking taking that sort of cynical view? Well, I would say that Baidu hasn't lost mobile. I mean, they're still doing extremely well in, in some of the functions like maps. I mean, they're still dominant in in search. You know, the, the percentage of searches that are originated from mobile continues to grow, and uh, I think Baidu is doing a fine job in that in that area. Yeah, I think that there, it's certainly been a very challenging environment. They don't have an app uh, comparable to WeChat, but nobody does. I mean, WeChat, that, that thing was just the source of so much just jealous fuming on my part. <laughs> That's amazing, <laughs> right? I mean, let's let's all. Yes. But um, we're, I, I mean, obviously I haven't been in the company for, for years, so I don't really follow the day-to-day very carefully, but I just don't think, I think anyone would be foolish to count them out, I think they, they've they're still a company that sits on a, a, a lot of cash that has that's still continuing to throw off really really handsome revenues and very very you know solid profits. And uh, they had a, a solid beat in Q2. They're looking I don't know looking pretty robust. To, yeah, I'm I'm uh, very happy what I'm doing now, uh, and I wish them well. But I think. Everyone, as everyone, many people commented, I picked a pretty good time to leave. I left like a day or two before that whole, you know, cancer hospital scandal. Yeah, but... right. I... <laughs> yes, yes, she did. Um, that that was totally by coincidence. Absolutely by coincidence. Yeah. 
planned long in advance. Mm-hmm. So, so Kaiser, you know, uh, as a way to, to wrap up um, the, our, our conversation, we like to ask our guests, um, you know, where, where, where can we find you if, uh, if, if, more, if our listeners are interested in learning more about you and, and, and what you do? Um, where, where's the best place to find you? Well, obviously, I mean, the Seneca podcast is what I do now. Uh, Seneca is powered by SupChina. So check out SupChina.com. Uh, you can subscribe to the podcast. I think I do two podcasts. I do uh, our regular uh, hour-long uh, conversation about current affairs in China. We've you know, 350 episodes in or something. Uh, we've been doing it for, for seven years. We're also, uh, we've launched something called the Caixin Seneca Business Brief, which is a weekly, which comes out on Mondays in the U.S., so generally late night, Sunday night, or early Monday morning in China. Uh, that's also subscribable on, on iTunes, Caixin Seneca Business Brief. Uh, I think the the other stuff would be, you know, SubChina's Facebook page, which I'm now uh, in charge of, which is facebook.com slash SubChina News, right? And then Twitter, SubChina News. And that's what I do full-time now. It's uh, the easiest place to find me. And, you know, we, I'm always eager to hear from people kaiser at subchina.com so uh yeah drop me a note awesome awesome well kaiser thank you thank you so much for for being so generous with your time uh we really appreciate it it's been a great conversation my pleasure john matt thanks so much guys (laughs) 